0: Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. I'd like to welcome you to tonight's Torah teaching, and it's entitled, Assuming Your Role in the Tapestry of Creation. Every one of you is part of God's tapestry of creation, and God has a purpose for each and every one of us within the earth, amen? Not one of you is a random occurrence. God did not place any of us here just by, uh, by the will of our parents, but God has placed each and every one of you here for His divine purpose. Amen. Yes, you could have been born in any period in creation, but God chose for you to exist and to live your life to its full fullness at this time in the creation. Mm-hmm. And over the last three weeks, this is the third week in these three, the, this grouping of three parshiot: Parsha VaYishev, Parsha Miketz, and tonight we're going to go into Parsha VaYigash. These three Torah portions are stories uh, of the life of Joseph, and they all relate to the Hebrew feast of Hanukkah. Amen? And I'm telling you, this Hanukkah has been one of the most awesome Hanukkahs that, that I've ever experienced in my life, and I hope, I hope it has for you as well. So we, we are in the third Torah portion of, of, the, of, of, of this feast and this is not a coincidence, the Torah readings that we have every single week should coincide with where you are in God's purpose in your life right now. Amen? You know, you know the, there are many folks in the world that believe in astrology, and they look to the stars for signs. They, 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 look, they, they look for different signs. The signs that I look to are not the st- signs in the star, but I do look to the star of David, who is Jesus himself. And I, I look to the Hebrew feast, I look to the biblical feast that we see in Leviticus chapter 23, I look at the feasts that were established by the rabbis, like Hanukkah and Purim. And I look at every weekly Torah portion, because with all of these elements put together, you are going to find how you fit into the tapestry of God's creation. I do not take the Word of God lightly. I do not take the Hebrew feast lightly. I do not take the teachings of the rabbis lightly. I believe everything that we do here is, is, is appropriate and relevant to our walk with God. Amen? That includes the spiritual and, and the physical. You know, some of us limit our walk with, with the spiritual only. Some of us only cry out to God when, when, when we are in a desperate situation. You're about to lose a job, you're about to lose a career, you're about to lose a, a marriage. There are some that only cry out to God in the midst of difficulty. But I encourage every one of you, regardless of the situation that you're in, is to cry out to God in everything. Amen? And to praise Him and to thank Him and glorify Him. Because everything in your life is God's will all things work together for good for those that are called amen everything everything so we need to know how to trust and praise him in every situation now if i were to tell you that i trust god fully i'd be lying to you i was, I was having a conversation uh this this week with with, with um with, with one of my friends and co-workers and we're talking and I was, I was talking about we're talking about torah we're talking about the word we're talking about work and i'm saying you know what Every week, I stand in front of a group, and I, and, and I teach everyone to trust in God, no matter what. You know what? It's easier to teach than to practice. Amen? Because oh, it's easy to trust God when everything is going perfect, everything is going well. But when, but when you step into the fire, that's when you find out what you're really made of. And, what I've, and I've had to repent. I go, Lord, I, will, I have not been trusting in you fully and and so but the lord has been teaching me as well because our journey is a walk of faith. I, I wish everything in life would be just perfect that I, I, I could I could I could know exactly what to do at every single moment. But God just God wants us to trust him and to walk in his steps. Amen. Amen. And the way you walk in the I, I like to call the Torah portions the footsteps of God. So we we are walking in his footprints. Amen. And we are learning how to follow him. So these three Torah portions, um, Parsha Vayeshev, Parsha Miketz, Parsha Vayigesh are the three portions we've been doing over the last three weeks. This week we're going to do Parsha Vayigesh, and next week we'll complete Parsha Vayeshev, which will complete the, all the readings in Genesis. For those of you who are going, I, I don't know how to spell these words, and I don't have the uh, liberty to, to actually write, write these on a board, but what I encourage you all to do is just go out to my website, wwwdestined torahcom Click on blog and just go through the weekly portion, the weekly write-ups, and, and I'll 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 give you highlights of each week's teachings. Amen? Amen. So in Parsha VaYigash, this week's Parsha, we are going to encounter the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, and then also the the the. the um, reconciliation between Joseph and Jacob. This has been a 22-year orde- ordeal. Can you imagine being separated from your siblings for 22 years or being separated from your mom and dad? And in Joseph's case, in Joseph's case his mom was no more. It was, it was only Jacob. be 22 years of separation. And there's going to be a tremendous reunion that takes place. And and within all this, this was all part of God's master plan. That God was moving behind the scenes throughout everything that took place. Because God used Joseph to prepare the Jewish people for every exile they they were going to experience until the coming of Messiah. Every exile, so Joseph remained pure. He did not sin with Potiphar's wife. He did not. Com- he did not enter. Into- he did not commit sexual sin. He remained pure for all 22 years of being separated. And I'm sure he experienced loneliness. I'm sure he was tempted. I'm sure he went through every weakness that that men go through. But he remained pure through every through all 22 years. Amen. And. As a result, God promoted him to the position of viceroy over Egypt. I mean, the high, really the second highest position in the entire world. And Genesis 41, 17-18 from the Chabad uh, version, it reads, In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. This is Pharaoh speaking. I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cow- cows of robust flesh in handsome form were ascending from the Nile, and they were pasturing in the marshland. If you look at Pharaoh's dream, he's always a bystander. And that is the mindset of Pharaoh, that is the mindset of the world, where the mindset of the world is, I don't trust in divine providence. The mindset of the world is, I'm just a random occurrence in the creation, whether it's God's creation or uh, or Darwin's creation, whatever they believe, but they believe they're bystanders and they're not really... In, they're not integrated into the creation, Amen, and and the, and often dreams will show you where you are spiritually. Pharaoh's dream, God was, in Pharaoh's dream, he was seen as a bystander, so he just saw everything as a random occurrence. He he did not he did not see divine providence at, at work. Genesis and in, in, in Joseph in contrast, <clears throat> in Genesis thirty seven seven we see, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. So in Joseph's dream, Joseph was an active participant within the tapestry of creation. And what I declare to each and every one of you, that you are all active participants in God's tapestry of creation, amen? Not one of you is a random occurrence. Not one of you, you are all here by divine design. So both Pharaoh and Joseph see the future Joseph's two dreams, Pharaoh's two dreams. They both see events that will take place in the future, but the, the, the contrast is one Pharaoh sees himself as a bystander, whereas Joseph sees himself as an active participant in, in, in God's creation. And many of us are seduced by the, the, the Pharaoh-type life, where we just want everything good to come to us. We don't want to labor for anything because we, uh, somehow we have this mentality that we're entitled to, to the blessings. Not one of us is entitled to any blessing from God. Everything that God gives us is by His grace and by His mercy. And we are not entitled to anything. Even if you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and you give your life to prayer and fasting, That does not give you the entitlement to earning God's blessings. Because God's blessings are not something you can earn. God's blessings are a free gift. Amen? Just the salvation in Yeshua is a free gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not by our works. It's a free gift. Amen? Or it's by grace that you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, and so, those of you that have the Pharaoh... pharaoh, I'm I'm probably making up a word here. Pharaohic. Those of you that have a Pharaohic mindset will think that life is a free lunch and you're entitled. And we live in a, in a, in a culture of, of feeling that we're entitled to the blessings, that we're entitled to this, that you're entitled to, to this promotion. I want you to leave this class tonight with the mindset that you, you are not entitled to anything. Everything is a free goth, a gift from heaven. Amen? Amen? I have not earned my career. I have not earned my possessions and in fact nothing that i have in my possession is really mine it all belongs to god amen yes. and you you have you know when you live the lifestyle of pharaoh there's no fulfillment in life there's no sense of gratification there's no sense of accomplishments the hebrew word for victory is netzat and netzat represents an attrib- and it represents an attribute in your soul where you can experience where you can experience fulfillment from above amen and you can experience fulfillment in your labor in contrast pharaoh is one where pharaoh strips you of all dignity and makes you feel like you're worthless and and, and makes you feel like that you have nothing to contribute and that's exactly what pharaoh did to the israelite people as we see in exodus chapter 1 and verse 2 which we'll, we'll begin in about two weeks but you, every one of you has the potential to experience tremendous fulfillment, tremendous invigoration, and you will assume your role in the tapestry of creation. So when you read about, when you read about Abraham, when you read about Isaac, when you read about Jacob, you read about Joseph and his brothers, you're not, reading a, a, you're not reading a Disney story. You are reading about yourself, and you are learning how you fit into God's tapestry of creation. Amen? You may leave here the only one thing that you'll remember, and that's the tapestry of creation. Because I've already, probably already said it about a hundred times. And you know, so many people in life have great dreams, but they don't fulfill their dreams. They don't experience the fulfillment, and they don't experience the, the, um, the satisfaction of seeing their dreams come to fruition. And sometimes it takes working with a rival in order to arise to greatness. I want you to repeat after me. Sometimes it takes working with a rival in order to arise to greatness. And you know, today, as I was preparing this this evening, uh, I think about the two. Uh, in my opinion, in the in the in the PC in the personal computing field, in my opinion, the two greatest rivals have been Bill Gates of of Microsoft and Steve Gates of. I'm sorry, Steve Jobs, I changed his name. Or, uh, uh, Bill Gates of Microsoft or, and Steve Jobs of Apple. Yeah. These were tr- two tremendous rivals that have gone head to head for many years. Mm-hmm. There was a love-hate relationship between these two men. Both were founders of the respective companies. These two, but in a, di- in a strange way, these two men respected each other very deeply. And, um, Steve, uh, uh, Bill Gates said in 2001, two, two, 2007, I'd give a lot to have Steve's taste. And after Jobs passed away, Gates said, "I respect Steve. We we got to work together. We spurred each other on, even as competitors. None of what he said bothers me at all. These two, I believe, were the greatest competitors in the corporate arena for many, many years. And you, most of you know that Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs." died not too long ago but they, they went head-to-head head. but you know what it was a healthy type of competition and I'm giving you a, a secular example because it will help you better understand a spiritual example by looking at the lives of Joseph and his and, and his brother Judah or is so so the, the, these two men fought Steve, Steve um, Jobs and Bill Gates and each had a different philosophy of computing and all of us today are you know we're basically the recipients of, of all of all their labor the, the PCs the, the the smartphones you're all we're all recipients and these two companies went head to head to where it almost became like a religion are you a Mac guy or a PC guy and it doesn't it doesn't really matter but i, I believe that rival that rivalry, that rivalry was, was healthy because because it's, it brought forth two tremendous giants in in the earth and I'm telling you, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal what took place between the rival, rivalry between jobs and, and, and gates. And I know most of you may not get where I'm going with this, but, but you're, you're going to just, just, just stay with me for a little while and, 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 you, and you will get it. Amen? So, so today I want to talk to you about a sibling rivalry, a rivalry and I want to sh- show you how that rivalry relates to you assuming your role in creation. And do you want to ensure the success of your mission in the earth? Yes. I believe you all do, right? And we're going to see that through the example of Joseph and Judah. Many of us shy away from any type of conflict. Mm-hmm. And, and some of us um, have a personality of being passive, and we avoid any type of conflict. And it is good that we live peaceably with one another. Yet at the same time, you need to recognize when God is using conflict to, to propel you to greatness. Because right. God, God will use that tension. God will use it to, to cause you to arise. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen Brother Ed in business meetings, and, and I've seen a personality in him that, that you'll never see in a service. But when he, when he arises the challenge in business, that there's no messing with Brother Ed because he means business. And that, that's part of, that's his anointing. Some people criticize him for that for, for that attribute, but i don't but i I, I want to acknowledge him for, for that for that character in that personality trait because when he's when he 's in that arena he, he becomes a different man, he becomes a lion and and, and he 's willing to take anybody on because he has a mission he, he has he and his wife have a mission, and they know their goal is to to propagate the gospel of God to the ends of the earth. Amen? Because their concern is missions, that, that their mission, that their mindset is souls. It's, that's their vision. And so there's nothing that will stop him from, from fulfilling that mission. And that's what I want all of you to do. I want the Judah in all of you to arise to where you are gonna stand up for the rights of those that cannot defend themselves. That you, you stand up for the rights of the elderly, you stand up for the rights of the unborn, but there'll be nothing that will stop you from standing up for righteousness, amen? And David had a person like that in his life. David allowed Jonathan, the, the prince of Israel, the son of King Saul, into his life to ensure his success. Elisha allowed Elijah into his life to, to, to raise him up to become his successor. And we, can't com- we, we cannot complete our missions in life as loners. We need one another, and we need to allow, we, we need to allow Josephs in our life, we need to allow Judas, and we need Benjamins in our life. So And the key is that you recognize who God has placed in your midst. And most likely these people all, are all, already around you because each personality represents a different dimension of, of your life. And I'm speaking to you in a professional way. I'm speaking to you in ministry. I'm speaking to you in a mentoring way. Because everything you need for your destiny is found in the Word of God. Amen? And my prayer tonight is that you will discover your Judah through this Torah cheer tonight. So let's get started. We're going to begin assuming our role in the tapestry of creation. Amen? So tonight's Torah reading is, and I'm going to ask Dr. Vicky, if you'll come to the front, please. I'm going to actually shift things around a little, little bit. And you can read from my, lap, my, my laptop here. We, we are entering into Parsha Vayigash. Can you say Vayigash? And Vayigash consists of Genesis chapter 44, verses 18 through chapter 47, verse 27. And Vayigash means he approached. Can you repeat with me? Vayigash means he approached. And this is in reference to the way Judah approached Joseph. Now, uh, what I'm going to encourage you to do every week before you come to Torah or at least around that time, is to try and read or at least do, get an overview of the Torah portion for that week. So what had just taken place from last week's reading in Parsha Miketz was Joseph, Joseph, Joseph's brothers, the ten brothers came. Actually, uh, the, the eleven brothers came this time because Benjamin was with them. And what did, what did he do? He sent them away with, 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 the, with all the provisions they needed, with the grain and all that they needed. And, and then he took his silver cup and put it into benjamin's sack he set them up then he sends his servants after the brothers to bring them back and accuse them of stealing of stealing and judah becomes so angry that he 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 rises the challenge where he puts his life on the line to stand up for righteousness so let's read um, Genesis 44, verse 18. I'll give you a moment to, to, to find it, and I'm going to invite you to read it alongside with Dr. Vicki. Genesis 44, verse 18. The Hebrew name for Genesis is Bereshit. When you have it, please say amen. 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 Genesis 44, 18. Ready again. Then Judah, Judah came near unto him, him,
1: him and said, oh my lord let thy servant i pray thee speak a word in my lord's ears and let not thine anger burn against thy servant for thou art even as pharaoh
0: beautiful thank you dr vicki we're going to spend quite a bit of time here because when you're reading this text judah comes near to joseph now i want you to picture this now i'm going to call two men to the front i'm going to call up pastor michael I'm going to call up Brother Ed. And you am going to have you stand on either, either side of me. So, um, I think last... Um, I forgot who you were last week. So we have, on my left-hand side, your right-hand side, we have Judah... And on my right hand side, actually, let's switch it because you're more like a Judah. We have Judah on my right. So, brother Ed is Judah. And on my left is, is Joseph. Now, Joseph. The, these are two tremendous men. These are, these are great men. Now, Joseph has been testing. Joseph, oh, Joseph, sorry. Joseph has been testing his brothers for, I don't know, for, for quite a while. And so, Joseph is not taking revenge on his brothers. You know, it looks like every time he sends them away, he sends them away with with provisions, and he sends and he puts something in the in their sacks that makes them think what's going on here. And especially that last event, Joseph wasn't really very cool, where you put you you, you put the your cup mm-hmm. in in Benjamin's sack, sorry, and then you sent <laughs> then you sent your 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 soldiers after him a, after all of them and bring them back and you accuse them of stealing. Mm-hmm. That wasn't very nice. But but you, but what Joseph was doing was he was. If inflicting in repentance upon the brothers and what he was doing was because he had risen up to such a great place spiritually spiritually and what Joseph represents is the spiritual the high spiritual caliber of the Jewish people and what he personifies is what's going to carry through through all future generations even to messiah so what he is doing, he's in inflicting repentance upon the brothers. And he does not reveal himself to his brothers until he, he's, con- he's convinced that his brothers have fully repented and, and that it's time for re- reunion. Amen? Now Joseph was such a man of, of spiritual caliber that he followed his dreams to the dotting of every I and the crossing of every T. In his dreams, in the first dream that he had as a 17-year-old, in his dreams, the interpretation of the dream was that his brothers bowed down to him. So that's being fulfilled. fulfilled. The second dream that he had, his parents bowed down to him. So that's going to take place very soon in the same year. So Joseph does not reveal himself to his brethren until he knows that they have repented. He has inflicted repentance upon his brothers. Now, I believe that Joseph represents the two aspects of Christ of Jesus Christ's ministry. I believe that Jesus is the Mashiach, the Messiah of Israel and of the entire world. Amen. But first, for the Israelites. Amen? Amen? So, the first part of Joseph's life, until he's about 30 years old or so, actually, not quite that long, but... The, the first part of his life represents the suffering servant. Rejected by his brothers. John chapter 1, we see he G, speaking about Jesus. He came to his own, his own received him not. Joseph, 17-year-old, 17, 17 years old, has a dream and has another dream. And he comes to his brothers and says, Look, brothers, I had this dream, I had this dream. And he thought his brothers would accept him mm-hmm. after he told them his dreams. And to the contrary, his brothers were, 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 were on a mission to murder him. Well, guess what? Jesus was murdered. He was handed off to the Romans. And the, and the, and the Romans crucified, uh, uh, under the command of Pontius Pilate, the Romans crucified Jesus. Now, P- uh, Joseph is taken out of the prison brought before pharaoh interprets pharaoh's dreams he and he writes and pharaoh and then then not only does he interpret pharaoh's dreams he tells pharaoh the job description of the person that pharaoh should promote to oversee the, the gathering of provisions for, for the next seven years and the dispersal of, of the of, of the or the, of what they receive for the following years of famine he wrote his own job description and pharaoh gives him the job can you imagine going for a job interview, and and, and you tell your employ- Usually, the employer will tell you this is the job description, but that's not what Joseph does. He actually writes his own job description. Amen. That's awesome. It's awesome. It's an awesome position, right? So, but so then he's elevated to the position of viceroy, that and that from that time on that represents the the resurrected Christ. Because we believe in the two comings of Jesus. The first coming when he was born uh, um, into, in the womb, he was, he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary through the Holy Spirit. And then that represents the, the suffering servant, in all, as we see in Isaiah 53. But after he comes into his position as viceroy, represents Jesus as the high priest who stands at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And, that, and, and so you're going to see many parallels between, between Joseph and Jesus. And I'm not going to leave Judah out. Judah also has many parallels between B- Messiah. Because it was through the bloodline of Judah that Messiah was to come forth. And Jesus was of the bloodline of Judah. Amen? Amen. So then Judah came near, as Dr. Vicky led us. He came near to him. Now, when, 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 when you came near... I mean, you, you are. I mean, you, you've got the new Ed face on. You've got the blue water face on. And when you when you come before Joseph, you, you're done with Joseph's behavior. I mean, that's that's just that's too much. And, and and you have no fear because you're standing before the most probably the second most powerful person in the world. He's like unto Pharaoh. If he says off of his head, you, 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 your head is off. That's the kind of power he had. But you did not care because you stood for righteousness. And you made a promise to Jacob, your father, that I will be the guarantor for Benjamin and I'm going to protect my family no matter what. So you came head on against Joseph. And Joseph had to back down. And Joseph had to clear the room of all the Egyptians. And Joseph, in private, revealed himself to his brethren and said, I am Joseph. And now, can you imagine the shock on Judas and, and, and the other ten brothers, the shock on their faith, the shock they experience, when Joseph says, I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into slavery. Now, Joseph does not say this to his brothers in a way that I'm angry at you, and I'm taking revenge, haha, <coughs> ha, now, now I'm in charge. No, Joseph is, is, in, has a, is, a, is a man of God, he's forgiven, and he, and he's, he walks in total humility. And in fact, Joseph does not need to forgive his brothers because Joseph was of the, of the mindset and the correct mindset because it, it was God, this was God's planning and God is the one that sent me to Egypt to save, to save you from, from destruction. Amen? To save you from, from starvation and famine. So he, Joseph saw all the events of his life as divine providence. Now, Judah is a man, he, he, he arose to the challenge to step into greatness. And he stood up, and he challenged his brother, and, and rightfully so. He said, O oh my Lord, let, my serv- let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for you are even as Pharaoh. Because Judah doesn't know he's standing in front of Joseph. And then he begins to challenge him, and then then Joseph has to back down. Now, I was going to save this for the end of the teaching, but I think it's more appropriate that I share it right now. Jude, what we see here, this rivalry, you know I talked about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs? Well, now I'm going to speak to you about another type of rivalry. It's a rivalry between Judah and Joseph. And this is a rivalry that will continue until Messiah comes. This rivalry is not over. So whenever Joseph is elevated, Judah will decrease. When Judah increases, then Joseph will decrease. Do you all remember, during the reign, after, the, after Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam took over the kingdom of Israel. It was all the southern kingdom, and it, was, it wasn't a southern and a northern kingdom. It was one kingdom, 12 tribes. Mm-hmm. But Rehoboam did not listen to the people and took, took counsel from his peers that gave him bad advice. And what took place is the house, the, the house of, uh, the, of Israel, represented through Joseph's son Ephraim, said, What do we have to do with you, David? David was a son of Judah. So what took place then is that the kingdom split. The ten northern tribes went to Jeroboam. The two southern tribes stayed with Judah. Oh, with with with, with Judah. So we had we had two kingdoms and two kings for for, for, for for many many years. And what always takes place is when one when one elevates, the other one diminishes. When one, the other one elevates, the other one decreases. And the, there's another concept here that you need to see is. Joseph was the son of whom? The, 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 we, we know Jacob the father, but who was the mother of Joseph? Rachel. 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 Okay, remember that. Who was the mother of Judah? Leah. Let's all say it together. Leah. Like good Torah students. Leah. Who was the mother of Judah?
2: Leah.
0: And who was the mother of Joseph? Rachel. Rachel. There's a key here. Kingship is going to pass through the to the sons of one of the of one of the primary wives of Jacob. <clears throat> Moses was the first leader of the Israelite pe- people. Right? And, and Moses was of which tribe? Levi. The tribe of Levi. Right? Levi was a son of which... Uh, who was Levi's mother? Exactly. Let's all say it together. I want you all to participate this evening. Who was the mother of Levi? Levi. Yeah. Leah, exactly. So so you you don't sound too convinced yet. Let's try this one more time. Who was the mother of Leah? I'm sorry, who sorry? No, no who who okay, who was the mother of Moses?
2: I mean of Levi. Who was the mother of Levi? Leah. Leah,
0: right? So and, and so you, you always see it'll either be a son of Leah or a son of Rachel. So when one is promoted, the other one decreases. Mm. And this, this, this will continue, this, this struggle, this rivalry, will continue until Messiah comes, because Messiah will unite all the tribes of Israel. Mm. Amen? Mm. So I, I want you to keep this in your minds, and I want you to even write this down, because when you read the entire Tanakh, when you read from Genesis through Malachi, I want you to keep that concept in mind because it will help you really understand when you read the, the books of Kings, First Kings and Second Kings, when you read through the Chronicles of Israel's and First and Second Chronicles, when you read through when you read through all the books in Nebuim, when you read the, uh, the entire Tanakh, it's gonna it, it'll make it'll make more sense to you. Amen. You need to understand this struggle because this struggle at times is unhealthy but at other times this struggle is healthy because that struggle is going to bring out bring out greatness in both Judah and in Joseph. Amen. And you, let's give our brothers a hand. They did a wonderful job. And the best example I, I could think of was the example of Steve Jobs and and Bill Gates because you can see it happening in our society in a secular sense. But now I want you to see in a spiritual sense because this rivalry will continue until the end of time. I mean, can you imagine coming against the... You know, imagine that you are in a country that's ruled by a dictator. And you, and you see unjust actions... Let's say you see a wicked dictator that, that, that's just slaughtering anybody for any reason. Then imagine yourself coming come before that, the most powerful person in that nation, that dictator, and to challenge that person for all of his uh, evil doings. You can't imagine, you know, I don't think most of us could not imagine doing that, but that's exactly what Judah did. Because Judah comes out like a lion, and the tribe of Judah represents the lion. But you know what? He's, 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 he's got an equal opponent. And that opponent is Joseph, and Joseph rep- is represented as an ox. That tribe is represented by an ox. So what we have taken place here is the lion versus the ox. So from now on, we call Brother Ed the lion, and we call Pastor Michael, we call him the ox. So... The- <laughs> So there are three different ways you can approach an enemy. The first way is you you can come forward to present your case for judgment, and and Deuteronomy twenty five one says if there be a controversy between men and they come unto judgment that the judges may judge them that then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So, in one case. Um, J- Judah is coming before the judge represented by Joseph and, he, and he's pleading for the case of his brother of, of his brethren, especially the youngest, Benjamin and he begins by pleading with words of appeasement and he says, let not your anger f- flare up at your servant, for you are like Pharaoh if, he, if God is calling you to le- a leadership position you need to learn how, when to exercise each attribute, amen there are times that you, you are going to rise up in righteous indignation. When Jesus walked into the temple and the money changers were mishandling the monies, Jesus comes in there and he, and he makes whips out of a cor, cords and, and, he, and he overturns the tables and he says, you would turn my father's house into a den of thieves. So Jesus was operating with the gift of righteous indignation. And, that is, and and his ancestor Judah is doing, is, doing, is, is doing that exactly right here as he approaches his brother Joseph. So the first thing you want to do is you present your case. The second thing you may do is that you may, want, you may need to appease the adversary. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So... At, we also see Judah at, at, in, his, in his communication using soft words, because sometimes soft words will turn away anger. But as a leader, you have to know which approach to use. Amen? Because there's not one approach that, that will fit any situation. You, you need the leading and the help of the Holy Spirit to show you when, when each approach is applicable. So number one, you may come forward and present a case of judgment. Number two, you may have to appease the adversary through kind words. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, "...counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out." So one thing that you'll need in this life is that you you will need the counsel and the understanding to draw out what is in the other person. So as Judah is speaking to Joseph, he discerns things that are deep in his character and 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 as he begins to touch on how much Jacob loved Benjamin, and describes the terrible suffering that his father had gone through, that at that moment Joseph probably wells up with tears, and he can no longer keep his identity a secret, because what what Judah did is he went deep into the deep into Joseph and pulled out that water that was in him, like deep water, and brought understanding out. That is a characteristic of a leader as well where you can get right to the pain point of the people you're dealing with. Now one thing I've been taught in the professional world, especially when I'm in a pre-sales world dealing with with potential clients, is I, I, I don't go at them to say you need this product and that product and that product. Instead, I go in there to identify their pain points. And that is exactly what Joseph, that's exactly what Judah did. He identified the pain points. And, that's, and if you want to be successful in ministry, you need to learn how to identify with the suffering and the pain of, of, of the brethren and the sisters. Amen? If I come before you and give you the most eloquent speech in the entire world, it will profit nobody anything. And I, and I may just leave here with a big head. But my reason for being here is not to increase, it's to decrease. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to your pain points this evening, whether you're watching us online or whether you're here in this room with us. But my, my, my desire is that the Spirit of God is going to get to the very root of your issues and the root of my issues and help me deal with those situations that are very difficult in life. Because life is, unfortunately, unfortunately, I can't even talk tonight, life is not cookie cutter. And there isn't one size that fits all. And it's like we're always juggling things. We have to learn how to be creative, and we need to learn how we need to discern how how to handle every single situation because every situation is unique. But the the one thing that's constant is the blueprint of the Word of God. The Word of God never changes. It's constant, and all we have to do is look at the Word of God because the Word of God is the blueprint. Amen. So jo- Judah overcame Joseph's cold. Presence, and as, as intelligent as Joseph was, I mean Joseph was brilliant. Even at age seventeen, he ran circles around his brothers. Absol- he was an absolute genius. His, I'm sure his his um, IQ was off the scale. He was absolutely brilliant. But you know what? Not even Joseph could stand up to his brother Judah, and because Judah took responsibility, God chose that kingship would pass ultimately to Judah. The, the second king of Israel, David of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, our Messiah of the tribe of Judah. Amen? And so the first step is, because there's three different approaches. The first approach, and I'm going to apply this to prayer in just a moment. I didn't see this until just a moment ago. Three approaches. The first approach is to come forward and present your case of judgment. You're basically going to litigate your position. The second approach is to appease the adversary. Some battles are just not worth fighting. Some battles are banned battles, as Dr. Corral tells us all the time. So sometimes you just appease the enemy and just, just, just move on. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth your energy because nothing fruitful is going to come out of it. Sometimes your test will be not to challenge and just just to appease the enemy and move on. But other times, you will engage in battle. 2 Samuel 10, 13, And Joab drew near, and the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. Sometimes God's going to call you into battle. Sometimes that's the final resort. Amen? Amen? Now, I want you to apply this in your prayer life. I want you to think about a situation that you're in right now. A, sit, a real situation, a place in your career, a place in your marriage, a place in your relationships, a place where you're, you're not being treated right. Well, you have three approaches. You can go before God, and I encourage you to begin with this, and litigate your case, and you plead the blood of Jesus, and you call upon heaven for help. You call upon heaven for assistance. Lord, I'm not being treated fairly in here, but Lord, you are the righteous judge. And Lord, I ask you to intervene, intervene here. The Holy Spirit is our advocate here on the earth. That Jesus is our advocate in heaven before the Father. Mm-hmm. And we ask the Lord to plead our case for us. Amen? Okay. And yet we, 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 we confess our sins. And we confess the sins of our family. We confess the sins of our nation. We, we confess the sins of one another. Amen? The reason why we confess, as Daniel did, because we have no righteousness of our own. So we, we confess our sins. And then we, then, we, then, we, then we enter into an approach of, of litigation. We present our case before God. And we ask God to be our judge. Amen? Amen? The second thing you may need to do in your prayer life is to appease an adversary. That means if I came to a service and I, and I had my Kit Kats, one of my favorite chocolates, and I lay them out here on the table, and those are here for me to snack on as I'm teaching here, but Brother Ed steals my Kit Kats. <laughs> Now, is that a battle f- worth fighting over? No. Not at all. I just let it go. I just, please, you can, Brother Ed, you can have this one too. And I have a dozen more in this bag too. Don't tell Bob and I'm hiding Kit Kats in my bag. But you can have these too. So, it's a silly example, but sometimes you need to know when to appease. The third approach is to engage in battle. And that's especially true when you're in a spiritual battle. It could be for the, it could be for the salvation of your kids. It could be for the deliverance of your kids or grandchildren from from drug addiction or any type of bondage that you have to... or for the salvation of loved ones. Salvation of your friends. You are you are engaging in a spiritual battle, and you are not gonna be passive. You are gonna rise like Judah and you you are gonna fight the good fight. Amen. And you are gonna put on the full armor of God and you're gonna fight till the very end. It it may be for a sickness in somebody's body, but you are gonna fight till that oppression is broken. You are gonna fight till that oppressive spirit is broken. You're gonna go to God and go, Lord, give me a battle strategy. God may call you on a fast. And that fasting is not to prove your own righteousness. No, that fasting is so you you can learn the strategy strategy that it will take to defeat the enemy in that situation. Amen? Amen. So those are the three strategies I want you to take away. And that part of the teaching is for all the intercessors here tonight. Are you ready? We've only studied one verse so far. And we're, we, I'm going to ask, um, actually, uh, before I have Dr. Vicki come back, remember I talked talk to you about the lion and the ox? Mm-hmm. Now, if I were to write a children's story, I might write, if I were to write one tonight, it would be about the lion and the ox. Because the lion and the ox will come together. Can you say it with me? The lion, the lion and the ox will come together.
2: together.
0: And we see that in Psalm 48, verse 4. For lo the kings were assembled they passed by together the lion and the ox will eventually be reunited the lion and the ox who are two sticks will become one stick when messiah comes they will be united and the confrontation of these two giants the ox and the lion joseph and judah these the confrontation that will take that takes place between the between these two brothers will always bring out the best in each other. This is a healthy type of rivalry. Now, I've never taught a teaching like this before from these scriptures. I've, I've, never, I've never taught this before, but I believe the, the Holy Spirit gave this to us for revelation tonight to show us there is a healthy type of competition. Amen? But eventually, it's going to result in the establishment of, with harmony in the family of Israel. Judah represents the royal tribe. Royalty is in in Judah's bloodline. Joseph represents spiritual power. He represents the spirituality. Now that spirituality did not pass on to Jeroboam because Jeroboam caused Ephraim, the, the, the ten northern tribes, to commit idolatry. But Joseph represents the spirituality of God's people. And Judah represents kingship, because the, the anointing oil, that special oil was only poured upon the royal tribe of, of Judah from David. See when, when Saul was anointed, he was a, 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 when, when Saul was anointed, he was anointed with a vial of oil, but when David was anointed, he was anointed with a horn of oil mm. and, and, and and that royal bloodline of kings. Is only through the bloodline of Judah, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and then all all the sons uh, continuing on the, the continuing through the bloodline of Judah, and all the way up to, to Jesus. And there's also a jealousy or a, a, between these two brothers. And that when Messiah comes, and this is I've, I've found this in a, in rabbinic commentary. When Messiah comes, Ephraim, or the northern kingdom of Israel, will no longer be jealous of Judah. And Judah will no longer be hostile to Ephraim, represented through Joseph. Because when Messiah comes, Messiah will personify both Joseph and Judah in one person. Amen? I'm giving you some very deep, deep truths tonight, and this is really gonna help you understand when you read through the Word of God, you are reading the tapestry of creation, and it's going to bring the Word of God to life. Now when you read it, when you read from the prophets, when you read from Amos, when you read from all the books of the Bible, you can look at it within this context. After Solomon's death, as I shared earlier, the kingdom was divided into two, Judah and Ephraim. Ephraim was the younger son of Joseph, but often what you'll read about as you read through the Tanakh Tanakh is Torah Nevuim Ketuvim. It references the entire uh, 30, first 39 books of the Bible. So after Solomon's death, the kingdom was divided into two Judah and Ephraim. Judah was led by Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, Ephraim was led by Jeroboam. So in first Kings twelve sixteen it says, So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Can you all say that with me? What portion have we in David? See, when we read that, we just think about disgruntled tribes that said, We'll have nothing to do with the bloodline of David. But it's more than that. What they said were prophetic words that would symbolize what would take place with Israel until the coming of Messiah. Because Rehoboam was very unfair and very strict and very harsh with the people and he took, he took counsel from folks that he should not have listened to and, and as a result of that unwise counsel the, the ten northern tribes split from, split from the kingdom. And Judah and, and Rehoboam was only left of the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Can you see that with me? B- Judah and, and Benjamin. Benjamin. J- Benjamin remained loyal to Judah. Do you know why? Not just, be- not just because they were a neighboring tribe. There's a very, there's a very specific reason why Judah remained, why, why Benjamin remained loyal to Judah. Alright, let's welcome Dr. Vicki, back to the pulpit. And I'm going to ask her to read, read from last week's Torah portion, from, Gen- from portion Miketz. And we're going to read from Genesis 43, verses 2 through uh, 3. 2 and 3, just from here to
1: there. Okay. Okay, ready, begin. And it came to pass when they had eaten of the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judas spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you.
0: And let's look at verse 8.
1: Okay, verse 8. And Judas said unto Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our
0: little ones. Amen. And then at verse 9 it says, I will be surely for him. What Judah did and what Judah prophesied is, I will be responsible for Benjamin. I will be the surety for him. I will be his protector. And he wasn't just speaking about his immediate son, Benjamin. He was speaking about the tribe of Benjamin for all future generations. So when the northern kingdom of Israel the 10 northern tribes went into Assyrian exile, guess what? Judah and Benjamin remained together because God ordained that these two tribes would remain together. In addition, when Judah was taken into exile, into the Babylonian exile, hundreds of years later, guess what took place? Benjamin and Judah went together because Judah promised his father, Jacob, that I will be the guarantor for my brother Benjamin. And this will continue till the end of time. He became the surety for him. So Judah, you know, we already talked about Leah and Rachel, right? And when one son of Leah arises, the other son of Rachel will diminish and vice versa. Now I wanna to talk to you about another type of relationship and that's the relationship between Judah and Benjamin. Now I'm gonna ask you all a question who David was the son of which uh, of which uh, of which one of Jacob's twelve sons? Yes. Uh, Jesse. Uh, well, uh, you're right. Jesse's the father. But going back to the, tw- the twelve sons of Jacob, of which, uh, which? Oh, actually, better question is which tribe was David of? Judah. Judah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Benjamin, not Benjamin. Um, King Saul was of which tribe?
1: Benjamin.
0: So, so exactly. So We know that Judah takes responsibility for Benjamin, right? Now, when you read about the, the early part of David's life, and we see David and Saul, we always remember David as always being on the run, don't we? But I want you to see it in a different aspect. I want you to see David being the guarantor, the protector of King Saul. Do you all remember when S- Samuel came to the town of, of Jesse? And he, he poured the the, the um, horn of oil, he poured the oil upon David. From that day onward, from that moment onward, the anointing of the Holy Spirit came upon David, and David became anointed. At that very instant, the Spirit of God left da- left. Saul because of his wickedness and because of his rebellion and that spirit was replaced with an evil spirit. And so what, what took place is David would come to Saul and, play, and would minister with his harp and when he played that instrument the evil spirit would depart from Saul for a season. Now, David became an armor bearer of of whom? Saul, Saul right? Now, for all of you in this ministry that are called to be armor-bearers in some way, the ministry of the armor-bearer is to protect the, 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 the pastor, the minister, or the person that you're serving under. And, and, and Dr. Corral has, 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 has probably, probably has a few armor-bearers in, in this ministry. The role of the armor-bearer is not to say, look, 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 I'm serving alongside Dr. Corral. No, if that's your attitude, you're completely missing it. You're completely missing it. But if, if your relationship with, with, with your teacher is to protect that person, to intercede for that person, to protect that person, and to cover that person, and to love that person, then you are operating in, in the gift, in the, in, the, in the ministry of an armor bearer. David loved King Saul. He loved him with his own whole heart. And David felt responsible for, for, for Saul's loss of the anointing. See, what, what, what Saul experienced was a departure of the Spirit, the, of, the spirit of God from him, and and where he experienced tremendous spiritual highs. And that experience of having tremendous spiritual highs are replaced with living under a constant demonic presence that kept him oppressed all the time. That is why we see Saul acting crazy all the time. Be, be, because he was, he, was, he was under that, under that oppression. David felt guilty probably because he knew that he, he felt responsible that the Spirit of God left him, which wasn't the case. But that's how he may have felt, and he took responsibility for him. So the attribute that you see in Judah taking responsibility for Benjamin, it continues on, it continues on with, with the descendants, and now we see David taking responsibility for King Saul. David truly loved King Saul. Amen. And King Saul was a tremendous king. He was a tremendous man, but he but he had a weakness in his character, and that weakness was he would, was he, sometimes he would he he would compromise obeying God to please the people. That 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 was one of his weaknesses. So Judah took responsibility for Benjamin. David took responsibility for Saul, for Saul. It's, it doesn't matter what age the people are. It's just that Judah will always be the guarantor for, for, for Benjamin. And even King Mashiach himself, Jesus himself, a descendant of Judah, willingly laid down his life for us on the cross. No man crucified Christ. He, he gave himself a ransom for many. Amen? And this self-sacrifice, this attribute of self-sacrifice, which we originally see in the life of Isaac, it's something that continues through the bloodline of Judah. And, and then also, who are the Benjamins in our lives? Do we stand up for the rights of those that can't stand up for themselves? I encourage... There'll be times in your lives where you will personify a Judah. And there'll be those that God's going to call you to stand up for. There are other times that you'll you'll be like a Benjamin or a Benjamin, and Judas will be r- raised up to help you. I see the mentors in my life as Judas in my life. I see Dr. Corral as a Judah in in, in my life. Amen. So God will raise up Judas in your life, and they're go- and, and sometimes I'll I'll be a Benjamin. In some relationships I'm a Benjamin, in other relationships I'm I'm a Judah. But you need to recognize each relationship. I was listening to a rabbi a couple of weeks ago and I, th- I think it was Rabbi Lappin and he was talking about, I was watching him on the TBN church channel I believe, and he was talking about leadership and I had no idea what a complex topic leadership is. If I'm put, if I'm put into an art environment where I'm, just, I'm, I'm fully trained, I'm experienced, I can go into a certain environment, into a certain organization in my company and I will thrive as a leader. But then if I'm plucked out of that position and put into something completely out of my arena, which is a place that that I I was placed in for a season at at the company I work for, guess what? I demonstrated everything but leadership qualities because I had no idea what I was doing and I was stumbling every single, single step of the way. And I depended upon others to mentor me and to be a Judah to me. Amen? So just because you 're a leader in one arena does not mean that you 're going to be a leader in every single arena. you need to know what, it, where you operate in relationships you know it, even in a marriage there's usually one dominant uh, you know one dominant personality and be, just because that person is uh, is dominant in the marriage but and the, the person goes to another place and, and is subservient in the arena so we have different types of relationships we have different um complexities. So you just need to know what role you play in every situation, amen? If I'm in front of Dr. Krell, I'm not in the role of a leader. I I submit as a servant, amen? And if I'm placed in a place where I'm given some authority, I don't let that authority go to my head. I'll operate in the realm of Judah, but at the same time, I'll operate in a role of, of, of a servant leadership position, amen? Because I'm not here to promote myself. I'm here to do what God wants me to do and to serve Him, and it's for the benefit of all of you. Amen? And in fact, I receive more from all of you than you receive from me. I mean, you are all so gifted and God has called each and every one of you. And I'm telling you, there are tremendous qualities in each and every one of you. I'm not worthy to teach Torah to any of you. And... and and what the anointing will do, what the Spirit of God will do in you, He's going to bring out the qualities that you need to thrive in your destiny. Amen? Mm-hmm. And God's going to give you the keys to, to, to succeed in every area. And don't look at failure as a failure. Look at failure as an opportunity to learn. Amen? Yeah. I don't know of anyone in life that does everything perfectly the first time. And if you've done everything perfectly in your life, I want you to come up and take over this class tonight. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of us has done everything perfectly. Now, in this Parsha, Parsha Vayigash, we, we encounter two types of spiritual leadership in this Parsha, jo- Joseph and Judah. And Joseph was a skilled administrator, Joseph was a skilled businessman, and Joseph was intensely involved in the material world. You can see in his dreams. I mean, he's, he's, very, much, he's, a, he's very much a part of everything. Judah, in contrast, was more spiritually minded. Well, see, now, now I'm going to give you a different aspect. I did say earlier that Joseph represents spirituality, and that is true, but there was, some, there was also an element of Judah that was also spiritual. Joseph was very much involved in worldly affairs. In the, in the, n- nothing bad about that. It's very good. Messiah will do that as well. But Judah preferred to shun the world. He devoted himself to the task of pursuing ongoing holiness, and now I want you to see this in the first in, in the first two kings of Israel under the, under uh, under the in the tribe of Judah. After Saul, we have King David. David was very was very spiritually minded, like like Judah, very spiritually minded, and he would rather spend time with God than than be focused on the mundane. He was always connecting with God, and God gave him the blueprint for the building of the first temple of, the, of Solomon's temple. And he, and he raised and through all the wars of Israel, he, he gathered in the, the spoils, the finances to fund the, the, the to build the temple. So, but David is very much heavenly heavenly minded, and I believe he had administrators and he had Joab that 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 ran much of the kingdom, but his successor. His son Benjamin, his son Solomon, was quite the opposite. Solomon was more like Joseph in the sense that Solomon was very connected with the people, and during the reign of Solomon, silver became as plenteous as as the stones. And that's that's also that's, that's an idiom. It's not, not to, not to be taken literally. But he was very much connected with the earth, and and he that's why he built such an extravagant temple. I mean, with extreme extravagance. And even his palaces were built with tremendous uh, extravagance. Because what Solomon did, his ministry was, was to raise the earthly to the spiritual. Joseph's approach, or uh, uh, actually even um, Solomon's approach, was a bottom-up approach. A bottom-up approach. Take the earthly and make it spiritual. Judah... And David, in contrast, did the very opposite. They had a top-down approach. That means they always wanted to connect with the heavens and draw heaven down to earth. Now, you may ask the question, which one is better? I don't know, but I think you need both. But I can tell you there's a danger to the Joseph approach because it it leaves too much room for arrogance and being glory. And I think, I'm not sure yet, But when I listen to some, when I read some of the words of Joseph, and we'll see more of this next week, Joseph has a tendency to fall into pride because there's there's too much earth. And David and Judah are are so heavenly minded that it, it keeps them humble. But you need, you, you, you need, there needs to be a balance and you, know when, you need to learn when to exercise each attribute. They're both important. But you saw the dangers. You, you, you saw how Solomon fell away at the end of his life. There's a danger when all you do is pursue the wealth. Because you, you, you when, you, when you start experiencing tremendous worldly success, it's very easy to become prideful. And what I found in my personal life, I don't know about you, but in my personal life is the more success I experience, the more I need I need to be on my face before God, repenting and being with him. Amen. Because when I'm failing, it's easy for me to be humble. But when I'm succeeding, guess what? It's even harder. It's even harder. Because it's easy for pride to creep in. So I need to be on my face before God and, and see God, Lord. Always keep me dependent upon you. Whether I have $10 in the bank or $10 million in the bank, I need to trust you fully. And Judah personifies the attribute of selflessness. Messiah, when he comes back, will personify both of these roles. I mean, look, Jesus, he could have been born in a king's palace. But he he was born in a manger, in a stable. I mean, the humility of Christ's coming. The king of Israel coming in, in a lowly manger. Um, I mean, he became, he was born to become the sacrificial lamb. And his second coming, he will take on the role of Joseph. He will personify both roles, Joseph and Judah, without sin. Amen? Then what takes place is jo- Joseph decides to disclose his identity. Skip into Genesis 45, verse 2, he wept aloud. <coughs> Parallel in Jesus. John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. Genesis 45, verse 3, he says, I am Joseph. Now, I want you to imagine this. Can you imagine the shock upon the brothers' faces when they say, oh my God, you're, you're Joseph? The one, that we, the, the one that we thought was dead, the one that we sold into slavery? Then let me parallel that to... Actually, let me read this to you from, uh, from a commentary from Rabbi Monk. It says, Woe to us on the day of judgment! Woe to us on the day of rebuke! If the brothers were so dismayed that they were unable to answer Joseph's rebuke, and he, and Hugh, as after all, only the younger brother, what will it be like on the day of the final judgment when the Holy One, blessed be He, he will demand an, an account from every human being. Jo- um, Jesus re- I'm sorry, not Jesus. Joseph revealing himself to his brothers was a type of judgment day. And Joseph says, I am. Jesus says in Mark chapter 14, verse 26, and Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. For 22 years, the brothers had been separated from Joseph. And now, he reveals himself by saying, I am. And I'm telling you, at that very instant, the repentance of the brothers was completed. Mm-hmm. Because for 22 years, the brothers rationalized. They, 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 they sincerely believed that Joseph deserved the death penalty because of his dreams. They truthfully believed that Joseph deserved to die. And they were litigated and they rationalized that Joseph should die. But at this very instant where Joseph revealed himself, they realized the error of their judgment and they realized that they had sinned. And that is when their repentance was complete. The inflicting of repentance was complete. Also in these verses, because I'm, 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 I'm out of time, Joseph, Joseph did not reveal himself to his brothers until he sent the Egyptians out. Now I'm going to give you Sanjay's commentary about end times. My personal opinion <coughs> about end times. When Jesus comes, before he comes, I believe a rapture is going to take place. And I do believe in the rapture. And just as Joshua, not Joshua, just as Joseph commanded the Egyptians to leave that room, I believe that the rapture will take place before Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah of Israel to the Jewish people. And Jesus will not shame his brethren just like Joseph did not shame his brethren. I believe the Egyptians being sent out is a foreshadowing of the church being taken out of the way. And then Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. He says, I am. Represents Jesus telling the the tribes of Israel, I am the Messiah. And he will reveal himself to them. Amen? So I, I, I want to conclude with that. Because Messiah, Jesus himself, is not one that's going to come out and shame you. He's very humble. And he's going to reveal himself in a way that will not bring you to shame. And when, when we depart out of the room in the rapture, then Jesus will reveal Himself to, as the Messiah of the Jewish people. And Lord, I'm going to invite you all to stand with me. Lord, tonight, I just ask You, Lord God, I ask You, Lord God, that tonight, that You will reveal Yourself to us. I ask You, Lord God, that You reveal Yourself to us in a way that we have never known in a long time Lord, I pray that you restore the intimacy between, between you and ourselves, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you for your mercy. And even as Joseph fell on Benjamin's shoulders and they wept on each other's shoulders, that, Lord, we, we will weep on your shoulders. That we will weep upon you, Lord God. And tonight we confess our sins and we repent of our sins. We repent of our wicked ways. We repent of our rationalizations. We repent of, of the way we mistreated our brethren, Lord God. And we know that salvation is of the Jews, Lord God. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you this evening, Lord God. And Lord, I gotta ask you to reveal yourself as the Messiah of all people, Lord God. That you are the Messiah of all the peoples of the earth, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, for this word tonight. And Lord, I Everyone. ask you that tonight, that you will, Lord Jesus, that you will arise as the Lion of Judah, and that you will arise with healing in your wings, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that every person that's within the, that, that's here and that's watching online tonight, that, Lord God, that you will bring healing, Lord God. That you will bring healing, Lord God. I pray for healing to take place in in, in Brother Ed's body, in his foot, in his, especially, Lord God. I pray that emotional and physical healing to take place, Lord God. Lord, I pray for bondage to break. I pray for tightnesses in, in bodies to break, Lord God, that healing will spring forth. I pray for... Uh, uh, People that are bound by oppression and distress and fear that the spirit of fear will be broken right now in the name of Jesus. That that fear and that anxiety is broken in the name of Yeshua, Lord God. I pray. I thank you, Lord God, that by your stripes we are healed. And I plead the blood of Jesus from Isaiah 53, for by your stripes we are healed. In Jesus' glorious name. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.